Well, we are continuing our series, The Journey, today, and so I thought we'd start off with maybe just some uh, quick facts about uh, travel, and uh, to be honest with you, I left my notes for this uh, back there, but I'll do the best I can to wing it on this. I think I know most of them. Um, this first one, uh, do you realize that several years ago, American Airlines decided they could save $40,000 a year by eliminating one olive from every salad they served in first class? I think that was a terrible way to rip off the people in first class, personally. <laughs> Do you know, according to Avis Rental Car, the three most popular things that are left in rental cars, this was very surprising to me, they are cell phones, wallets, and eyeglasses. I'm thinking, how do they leave their eyeglasses? Didn't they have them on when they were driving the rental car? Uh, the next one here. Do you know that the American tourism industry spends $1.6 trillion a year in the United States? That's what we spend on travel in America, $1.6 trillion a year. Did you know that uh, on an average night in America, 2.8 million hotel rooms are rented? Yeah, you could, you could put uh, Denver, Dallas, Orlando, and Detroit combined in those hotel rooms that are rented every night in America. And then here's the last one. Did you know, this will be so important to you, Every day, 102 people visit the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco, Texas. Most of you didn't even know there was a Dr. Pepper Museum, did you? Well, I hope you're enjoying this journey series. We've been talking about the fact that God, while He is ultimately concerned about our destination, making it to heaven, He is equally concerned about the fact that He wants us to find joy and fulfillment on our journey. And so we've been talking about some things that the Bible says some tools and principles that the Bible gives us to help us find joy and fulfillment on the journey. So far we've talked about God's GPS for the journey, the Bible, and we've said there we find clear direction. We have talked about the value of prayer, and we've said, you know, God wants to have great conversation with us all along the journey. And here's the great thing about our prayer with God, there are no dead zones. There's no place that we get disconnected from Him. And last week Dan did a great job talking about the importance of packing light for our trip, for our journey. I saw this illustrated so well. Uh, Peg and I traveled last weekend, got some time away, the two of us, and uh, different times as we were getting on airplanes, I watched as people, you know, people carry on now everything they possibly can. And so I watched as people, you know, had all these bags they were carrying on, and they're trying to shove these bags that really shouldn't go in the overhead compartment in the overhead, and they're the people are backing up behind them while they're trying to situate all of their stuff. And uh, I just had a backpack last weekend. It's just what I took along. Uh, we checked out the rest of our luggage. And so, you know, I got on the plane, just zipped into my seat, sat down, and I was ready to go. And I thought, boy, there's the difference right there between trying to have a whole bunch of stuff that makes it cumbersome and packing light for our journey. And the Bible really encourages us to pack light on the journey. And Dan kind of helped us see what all that meant last week. Uh, there's one more principle I want us to deal with today. And it is the, the principle that maybe is best illustrated by this. I don't know about you, but uh, if you're really honest, which kind of trip is more relaxing for you? A, a trip where you're driving somewhere and you're just pressed for time. It is go, 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 hurry, 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 get gas as fast as we can, no time to stop and go to the restroom, just hurry, hurry, hurry. Or a trip where as you're driving along and it's been a little while and you see a rest area and you think, hey, let's, let's stop. Everybody goes to the bathroom and you relax for a few minutes or you stop for dinner and you're not in a big hurry. You just sit around the table and you enjoy each other and then when you think it's been long enough, you get back in the car and you take your time on the journey. If you're really honest, when you actually get there, which one 
is more relaxing? Which one has been more enjoyable? The pace of our journey, I think, is illustrated well in what one person wrote in USA Today about our wives. And they they said this. They said, today people are um, souped up, stressed out, and overscheduled. In this brave new world, boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Everybody is mobile. And catch this part, every moment is scheduled. That describes our life, doesn't it? What's it like? What's the pace of your journey? Think back over just the last week or two. What's your schedule been like? What? How much have you tried to cram into every 24-hour period? The United States Army did an interesting study a few years ago. They studied a group of men and they wanted to see how long they could maintain maximum output in terms of their, their effort, how hard they could work and still be as productive as possible. You know what they found in their study? After seven days without rest and just working, their productivity dropped way off. And here was what was just equally surprising. Not only did their productivity drop way off after seven days, but they thought they were working just as hard and being just as productive as they were before their productivity dropped off. They were totally unaware of the fact that their productivity had dropped off after that seven-day period. So I want us to talk today about a principle and the fact that God has built into the rhythms of our lives rest. God has a maintenance schedule for our lives to help us operate at maximum potential. Now this, uh, this maintenance schedule is found, actually the first time it's really talked about in detail, is found in the Old Testament of our Bible, in the book of Exodus. And it's actually among the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big Ten Commandments that God gave us. And it's Commandment number four. And in that commandment, God kind of lays out His maintenance schedule for our lives. In three, two, one. All right, so here we go. According to Genesis, the Lord created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day He rested. That is, He stopped. Doesn't mean He took a nap. It means He rested from the work He had done on the previous six days. So He blessed that day, and He set it apart way back when everything was still perfect, right? Right. One day out of seven. Later, I don't know, around 2,500 years or so, way after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and sin was everywhere, Moses pops up on the scene, hikes up Mount Sinai, and receives ten commandments from the Lord himself, written by his very finger. You saw the movie. For all you readers out there, take a peek at Exodus 20. Here begins the law, God's commandments. His design, not ours, for our benefit, not his. Now, out of all the ten commandments, we stop today on the fourth. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And in case you might not connect it on our own, God uses the same language in the first book of the Bible that he does here in the second to connect it for us. And I paraphrase. In six days, not five, not a million years, not an eon, in six days God did a bunch of work making everything that we see and don't see, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore he blessed it and made it holy. He set it apart. One day out of seven. So we got ten commandments. We got eight don'ts and two do's. But inside one of the do's is a don't, this fourth commandment. The do is to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the way to keep it holy is the don't. Don't work. Or more accurate to its intent, put aside the normal work you do on the previous six days. Make this day different. One day out of seven. Okay, so let's leap forward about 1,500 years or so to Mark chapter 2. And you'll see that Jesus says, quite frankly, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. Sabbath was made for the man. Huh. God blessed this day and he set it apart. Why? For what?
Well, perhaps it's a date. Maybe God is saying He just wants to spend time with us. Yeah, He created us to do all kinds of things and have friends and family and live our lives, but maybe He's saying He'd like to spend time with us too. Now, he knows we're busy. That's why He gave us seven days. Six days to do all the things that we have to do. And one day to spend with Him. One day out of seven. Well, after we watched the video in uh, rehearsal this morning, Dan said I should just... Uh let you see that and then go home, but I wasn't here last week, so I'm going to talk a little more than that, okay? One out of seven. I want you to open your Bibles. I hope you brought them. I've really been encouraging you to do that. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're at. We're going to look at this one commandment. Now, some interesting things about this. First, I doubt that if I ask any of you that you would admit to me that you were consistently disobeying one of the Ten Commandments. But if your life is at all like my life, I am guessing that many of us are consistently disobeying this commandment. Now, it's also interesting to me that in the Ten Commandments, this one is given the most words. The most is written about this commandment. Maybe it's because God thought we would look at the Ten Commandments and go, well, most of those are important. But that one about the Sabbath thing, ah, it's not a big deal. And so he was pretty detailed in his description here of what was involved in the Sabbath and why it was important for us to keep this in our lives. And he makes it clear that it is equal with the others. He takes it as seriously as um, murder and adultery and stealing and telling a lie. Right in that same list, God gives value to the Sabbath. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Verse 8, listen to what's written here. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Then he gets really specific. On it he says, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter. Kids, did you catch that? Just a thought. Nor your uh, manservant or maidservant, not your animals, nor the alien, not like the extraterrestrial kind, but uh, foreigners who may dwell in your land within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God's job of creating had a beginning and an end. And when he finished doing his job of creating, if you will, he stopped. And he rested. And it was God's desire that there would be a regular rhythm to our lives. That we would work hard for six days, and then we would take one day to rest. Now, I know, I know what we think, because I've said it. We tend to say or think, well, I'm too busy. I've got too much to get done to do that. I don't have time to take a break. In fact, we brag about how busy we are, about how overworked we are, about how stressed out we are. But you know what? I don't think God is impressed. In fact, just the opposite. He sees it as disobedience. Because His plan was that out of the, and that regular rhythm of our lives, that we would set aside one day to rest. 
Now, I don't know why, but since the commandment of the Sabbath has been given, it seems like people have been fighting against it. You know, we have turned what God intended to be a blessing for our lives into a, a burden. And we have been fighting against it. it even you go back to the, the Jewish people, the original receivers of the Ten Commandments, and even they seem to struggle with the concept of the Sabbath. Now, their way of struggling with it was they kept adding all kinds of laws, all kinds of additional rules, things you could and could not do on the Sabbath until it became extremely tedious. In fact, let me give you an example. I uh, found this on the Internet this week. It's actually written by a Jewish rabbi, and it's actually written fairly uh, more contemporarily. But listen to, this is just one example of the kinds of rules that have been placed on the Sabbath. He writes this of the Sabbath. This is understood to mean doing anything on the Sabbath which directly or indirectly lights a fire, such as striking a match, lighting a gas stove, adding wood to a fire, changing a thermostat so as to start a gas or oil furnace, using, turning on or off electricity, or anything electronic is included in this rule. Now, that's the kind of thinking that the Jewish culture began to have towards the Sabbath. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, that was exactly the thinking of the day. That the Sabbath was all about keeping these hundreds of rules and regulations. Well, I want you to listen to this encounter that Jesus had. It's found in John, which is in the New Testament of your Bible. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark is where I'm headed. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to look at Mark, the second chapter. And I want you to watch what happens. Jesus and His disciples one day are just out for a stroll. It's on the Sabbath day. Listen to what happens. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And His disciples walked along. They began to pick some of the heads of grain. Now, they're just walking along and they, they see some grain there and they, they just pick it and kind of you know rub it in their hands so that the chaff kind of goes away and probably pop it in their mouths. No, no big deal, right? Well, it must have been. Verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? It was against all of these rules and regulations to harvest grain. And that's what they considered his disciples were doing when they reached over and grabbed that grain. They were harvesting it. And you couldn't do that. Listen to Jesus' response, verse 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, David did, and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And at the time that David did that, God did not punish him. God was not upset with that. Verse 27, Then he said to them, Jesus did, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, I like how the New Living Translation also translates that last verse there. It says that the Sabbath was made to benefit people, not people to benefit the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't intended to put some kind of burden on us. It wasn't intended to give us one more thing to try to cram into our already busy schedule. No, in fact, the Sabbath was a gift that God gave us to set us free from the burdens of life. And yet we have turned it into some kind of burden, some kind of thing that we have to keep. Now, when we talk about the Sabbath, let's be clear about what we're not talking about, okay? First, when we talk about the Sabbath, we are not talking about a particular day of the week. 
in the Jewish system, the Sabbath was observed on Saturday. It was part of their ritual based on things that happened in the Old Testament. But when after Jesus had been here and left the earth after His resurrection and the early church began, they began to, to honor God and kind of keep the principles of the Sabbath on the first day of the week. And God blessed that. So as you look through history, it wasn't about a particular day of the week. Secondly, this is not about a command to go to church. Now, please hear me on this. The Bible certainly in other places talks about the value and the importance of a gathering of Christ followers and people who are seeking Jesus and people who are investigating their faith. He talks about the value of that. But the Sabbath principle is not a command to go to church. Now, certainly for some of you, Sunday may be the day that you observe the Sabbath principle. And certainly, gathering in community like this would be a valid part of honoring the Sabbath. But it is not about going to church. The word Sabbath itself means to rest. Or it could be translated to take a breath. You know what? We could use that once in a while in our lives, couldn't we? Where we just take a breath. So today, let me point out three ways that the Sabbath gives us opportunity to take a breath in our lives. First, the Sabbath gives us the opportunity simply to rest. God modeled this, didn't He, in the Old Testament. We've already said, for, seven, for six days, He worked really hard to create. And then on the seventh day, He rested. And in Exodus 20, it tells us that there's six days we're supposed to work hard. But on the seventh day, we're supposed to rest. Remember what they, the army study found out? That after seven days, productivity fell way off? Could it be that God knew the rhythm of our lives? Could, could it be that He knew that built into the rhythm of our lives needed to be rest? The way we live, by going, going, going all the time, we know the statistics. When we Work without resting, the statistics tell us the chances for high blood pressure, premature heart attacks, they go way up. One doctor did a study that showed that uh, the amount of energy that we, the amount of oxygen that our body puts out in one day's work is not replenished in one night's sleep, but that we actually need one day in seven where our bodies slow down somewhat so that the oxygen in our bodies can be replenished. Could it be that God knew what He was doing when He said to us, I want you to work hard for six days, but then I want you to rest. He modeled what we needed in our lives. Second, the Sabbath gives us the opportunity for reflection. I don't know if you've heard the story, but there was an F-11 fighter jet that actually shot itself down. That happened back in September of 1956. He was flying so fast in a plane just like this that when he uh, discharged his weapons, he actually was flying faster than the weapons, the, the, what was shot, and he shot himself down. We live at such a pace in life. We go so fast that we are emotionally frazzled. And if we're not careful, we are going to shoot ourselves down. And the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to recharge our emotions. It gives us 
the opportunity to be emotionally healthy if we'll take advantage of this. I tell you what, I will be honest and transparent with you today and tell you, I have seen this in my own life. Not just this once, but it was very clear to me about two weeks ago, I had gone several weeks, just confession here, I've really not taken a day off. And my cell phone rang two or three times that day, and inside of me, every time it rang, I actually felt myself getting angry and thinking, who is calling me? Why can't they leave me alone? So if you called me on that Saturday, I'm sorry for the thoughts that I had about you. One of them was Dan, and I've already confessed to him, okay? You know what that meant? I was emotionally spent because I hadn't observed this principle. I hadn't taken time to reflect and to be emotionally healthy and to recharge myself emotionally. Another opportunity that observing the Sabbath gives us is for renewal. But before I say that, let me, I missed this verse. Proverbs 14.30 says this, very interesting about it. It says, a tranquil heart is life to the body. A, a, a heart that's at peace, a heart that is emotionally healthy is life to the body. But passion or emotions that are out of control, emotions that are spent or frazzled is rottenness to the bones. We need to emotionally rest. Okay, so third, the Sabbath gives us an opportunity for renewal. It gives us an opportunity to renew or to restore ourselves spiritually. And when you and I go, go, go and don't take time to honor this principle, we get worn out spiritually. We become spiritually unhealthy. And so... God said, I want you to take one day a week just to recharge yourself, to be rejuvenated spiritually. The video talked about it's like having a date with God. I think the Sabbath helps me to embrace my limits spiritually. It reminds me that God is God and I am not. And I am not responsible for running His world. And you know what? The world will run okay without me for a day? That's pretty hard for us to accept, isn't it? Because our world, it is hard for us to disengage, isn't it? In a world of cell phones and iPhones and email and Blackberries, we don't ever disengage, do we? We just go, 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 and we are wearing ourselves out spiritually and emotionally. And God said we need to take one day out of seven and recharge ourselves. I like what Pastor Leonard Sweet says. He writes about the Sabbath. And he says, it's not so much that we keep the Sabbath as that the Sabbath keeps us. Keeps us whole. Keeps us sane. Keeps us spiritually alive. Genuine Sabbath keeping is not a series of you shall nots, but a string of celebrations. Its goal is not to shut you off from the realities of life, but to open you up to living. He is so right. Now that's kind of the why of I, uh, that I ought to observe the Sabbath. Let's talk about the, the practical things. Let's answer some questions like, first of all, you know, when do I keep the Sabbath? How, how do I fit this into my life? And you know what? It doesn't matter what day of the week, but all of us need to find a day. 
And maybe, let's just be really honest this morning. Maybe for you it starts by saying, you know, I'm going to start with a half a day. That'd be a step in the right direction. Whatever time it is, you need to say, I'm going to take this half a day. And I can't tell you when that is. But you've got to look at your own life and decide, when in my week am I willing to block out some time? And let me tell you this, if you don't determine a time and say that's when it's going to happen, if you just say, well, at some point it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. Unless you make a determined decision that this block of time is the time that I'm going to honor this principle. What does it look like? What do, what do I do during this time? You know what, I, I think it's different for all of us. I think the Sabbath principle teaches that I need to do something that is different from what I do the rest of the week. Now, for some of us, and I think it has to be something that allows those three things to happen. Rest, renewal, and reflection. But I think that's probably different for different people. You know, for some of us, depending on what you do the other six days of the week, maybe going out and working in your yard actually rests you in a way. Some of you, maybe not. But... But for some people it does. It, it uh, gives you that chance for reflection. <laughs> this is so much more intimate, isn't it? <laughs> so you used to be able to make small responses to things I said and nobody knew. Now we know. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> but seriously, maybe for you, working in the yard is that opportunity for, for rest or reflection and renewal. But for others of us, absolutely not. Maybe it means just Sitting by the pool. I have a, a really good friend who his Sabbath, a lot of day, a lot of times on his Sabbath day, he, he gets his kayak out. Now it's very strenuous exercise, and to me I think well, that doesn't sound like rest. But for him, it is. He rests his body from what he does the rest of the week, and he finds reflection and renewal when he's out on that water, canoeing uh, uh, kayaking away. You have to decide what is it that will bring that to my life. Now, I guarantee this, for most of us, it means that we need to disengage. And you're not going to like this, a lot of you, but I am firmly convinced this week as I've thought about this, it means turning off or leaving behind cell phones and Blackberries and iPhones. It means not answering emails. Because for most of us, when we still do those things, we still are engaged in what the rest of life is the other six days of the week. And until we disengage ourselves from those things, we are not going to find rest and renewal and reflection. Dan Pott mentioned last week that when I traveled to Bulgaria, much to his dismay, that I didn't take my laptop. Well, I don't know that I knew it going into it, but I discovered while I was over there that it was, there was great wisdom in it, Dan, and here's why. Because not having my laptop and not going to the Internet Cafe for the first two-thirds of the time that I was over there I totally disengaged from life here and totally immersed myself in life there. And it was very spiritually renewing for me. It was like my soul flourished again because I did that. You know how I know it made a difference? Because towards the end of the trip, we were in a couple of villages where the Internet Cafe was very accessible and I started going and checking my email and responding to email and I can feel like a switch what happened to me. Suddenly I began to disengage from the world of Bulgaria and re-engage in the world here and began to immediately feel the drain of dealing with things here that I didn't feel when I was disengaged from it. 
And as I thought about that this week, I realized if we're really going to practice this for most of us, it means disengaging from those things so that we really can find rest and renewal and reflection. Now, how do I make this happen? In my life, it begins by saying no. By saying no sometimes to good things. And parents, you may not like to hear this from me, but it means saying no to some things in your children's lives. You think we're busy, so are our children. And a lot of the blame, parents, for how busy our children are falls right on us because we've allowed it to happen. And just as we need to say no to some things in our lives, there are some things in our children's lives that we need to say no to so that we can find the time to actually carve out and practice this principle of Sabbath. And you know what? If your kids play on one less athletic team, or they take one less dance class, or they're not in scouts, or whatever it is, you fill in the blank, they will still grow up to be an okay adult. They really will. But we've bought the lie of our society that says we've got to have them in everything or they'll get behind. It's a lie. And we've bought into it. Now, I'll be, I've confessed already some, so let me tell you one more confession. I'm not very good at living this principle out. But I am determined. After thinking about it and my wife uh, encouraging me over the last several weeks, knowing that I was going to talk about this, and then me really studying and listening to God this week, I must live this principle out in my life too. So beginning this week, you will not find me in the office on Fridays. Unless you're related to me, you will not be able to call me on my cell phone. I will not answer your emails because I am determined. And I don't know how that works. I don't know how everything gets done. But I'm going to live out this principle. And you know what this principle comes down to a lot of times when it comes to the how, how's it going to work out? It's a trust issue. God said if we'll work six days a week and one day a week, We'll practice the Sabbath principle. He'll bless us. And if I'm not willing to try that in my life, then I'm saying to God, well, I don't trust you. (laughs) I don't believe what you said. I don't believe it works. So it's a trust issue. If I'm going to live this out in my life, if I'm not going to live it out, I'm saying to God, I don't trust Him. But when I begin to live it out, then I'm saying, you know what, I trust you that you'll make all the pieces come together somehow, even though in my mind it doesn't work. Two guys an old story. Ed and Bill were out chopping down trees. This was back before uh, power saws, I guess. And So they had this whole uh, group of trees that in one day's time they wanted to, to chop down and get rid of. And So Bill was determined he was just going to work. There was no way he was stopping all day long. And he just kept working away and working away and working away until his muscles were screaming in pain. But Ed, every once in a while, would work a while and then he'd just take a little break. And then he'd work again. Well, they got to the end of the day and Bill said, I worked all day long and you kept taking breaks. How is it that we cut down the same number of trees over the period of the day? Ed said, Bill, didn't you notice that every time I was resting, I was also sharpening my axe? You know what? A lot of us need to sharpen our axes. And it doesn't happen when we just keep working and working and working and working. It doesn't happen until we obey this Sabbath principle and we rest. We sharpen our axes so that we can be productive again. Would you pray with me? God, thank You for the principle of the Sabbath. God, it is not easy. It is not at all easy to live this principle out in our lives. And I just pray, God, that You'd help us. You'd help us to trust You with this part of our lives. 
And God, I don't know, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly how this all works out in my life. I don't know exactly how all the pieces come together. But God, I am determined to trust You with this part of my life. To be obedient to this principle. And to allow You to bring rest and renewal and reflection into my life and my heart so that I can be all that You want me to be. And God, so that I can find joy and fulfillment on the journey that You've given us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.